My name is Alice. I worked for the Umbrella Corporation at a secret high-tech facility called The Hive. A giant underground laboratory developing experimental viral weaponry. But there was an incident. The virus escaped and everybody died. Trouble was, they didn't stay dead. Welcome to Now Playing's retrospective series of Resident Evil. You're all going to die down here. Hosted by Player One, Justin. That's right! Star power, bitches! Player Two, Stuart. Congratulations. <laughs> Officially a badass. And Player Three, Arnie. They're stars, they're the best. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a Resident Evil movie review, leading up to Resident Evil, the final chapter. You are going to be in for the fight of your lives. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, mild language, and zombie dogs. This is humanity's last stand. The beginning of the end. Listener discretion is advised. Waiting for a written invitation? Today we're discussing Resident Evil. Starring Mila Jovovich, Michelle Rodriguez, James Purfoy. Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. This is Arnie, your resident co-host of Now Playing, but not evil. Stuart in LA. And this is Justin. Before we get started, can we all say the star's name once because everybody says it differently? Oh, I listened to the commentary where Michelle Rodriguez kept calling her Mila Jovovich, and she'd get so <laughs> mad. It's Mila Jovovich. If you can't say it right, no one will be able to say it right. Mila Jovovich. I don't pronounce the L's, though. I say Mia. Is that wrong? Yeah. I always say Mia Jovovich, so I'm apparently way off, too. And we thought the last name would be problematic. I don't, can't even get through the first one. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, we are here at Resident Evil. It didn't make her a star, but it cemented her as an action hero and brought zombies back to the forefront in the 21st century. I mean, Paul W.S. Anderson happily takes credit for himself, I guess, for being the one to start the zombie revolution. I think he might be giving himself a little too much credit. I mean, 28 Days Later was made at the same time, and the next year, Beyond Reanimator, and then year after that, remake of Dawn of the Dead. Maybe, maybe he did do Dawn of the Dead. Maybe they did look at the success of Resident Evil, but... And it's not like he invented zombies, but you're right, like a, a resurrection or a resurgence of the zombie genre definitely kicked off around this time. You know, I, somehow I've never seen this as a zombie movie, first and foremost. To me, the headline on this is video games, and that usually is not a good thing. I mean, has there ever been a good, and I mean really good, movie based on a video game? Well, Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat is a favorite film of mine. It's a favorite soundtrack of mine. Favorite, like, all-time favorite? Favorite, like, I can watch that thing endlessly. It's just a fun-time kung fu film. It may be almost a remake of Enter the Dragon, only with video game characters and monsters and special effects, 
but I love that film. Honestly, that film made me a Paul W.S. Anderson fan, and then Aliens vs. Predator made me turn on him like he'd raped my mother, but in between, there was good period. I think it might be a little bit of a hard sell to say Mortal Kombat's a good film. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a fun watch. I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying I love it. There's a difference. You did say it was one of the best. Citizen Kane, Casablanca, Mortal Kombat. I will hold it up as a good video game adaptation. Yes. Okay, well, that's that's qualified. I just want to say, you said one of your favorites. I didn't know what that meant. So, one of your favorite video game movies. I can't even name really a good one. You know, there's some that have some cool aspects. Tron had, like, those outfits were neat, right? Or Silent Hill, there were some creepy moments in the fog before the plot kicked in. Tron wasn't even based on a real game. I mean... Yeah, I think the game came because of the movie. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Uh, Final Fantasy had really good photorealistic animation until the characters had to show facial expressions and couldn't. Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph is like a is a, an homage to video game movies, but it's not necessarily about a real video game. But they bring in Donkey Kong and Q-Berts and all those characters. Sure, it's got meta-knowledge of the video game industry. And I didn't like it either, but be that as it may, yeah, maybe that's one of the better ones. Usually they're just flat-out terrible, right? I mean, usually it's Bob Hoskins and overalls running through a pipe, or Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> showing up in a blue beret for five minutes, leaving you wanting more Van Damme. You know that's a bad movie when Street Fighter leaves you going, where's Jean-Claude Van Damme? I felt so <laughs> bad for Raul Julia. That was his final <laughs> film and oh boy yeah that's a bad way to go out you know from the killing fields to that and of course my favorite wing commander a film that i will watch endlessly out of devotion to the franchise even though i know that movie sucks ass the problem is i don't make time in my life for video games it's not that i wouldn't enjoy playing them it's just that i can't i just don't have the time to do it so when they make these new projects it's not a draw, you know, maybe Warcraft is a great game, but when I look at that trailer, I ain't going. Assassin's Creed just opened, I don't know that game, I don't want to see that movie. Doom, I haven't even played Angry Birds, okay? I don't know the properties, <laughs> I'm not excited for the movie. The Angry Birds video game, that one, I've not seen the movie, but that might be the best. <laughs> <laughs> that came and went pretty quick, so I don't know. But I think there's a lesson Hollywood hasn't necessarily learned. Just because a video game is popular doesn't mean that it's going to make for a good movie, is I think what we're saying. Because I can't, I'm sitting here listening to all these examples, and not one of them is a movie that I could sit and say, yeah, I like that. Yeah, Doom, Tomb Raider, Pixels, I I just, I'm, I'm trying. I mean, some people told me Warcraft was good, but... Ooh, it didn't look good. It no. sure didn't. I mean, the bottom of the barrel got to be Yui Bowl. I think they finally took away his movie-making card, but for a while, they were letting him make all these, like, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain, House of the Dead, Postal. Some of my favorite movies of all time there, as far as brown arrows go... <laughs> Okay, I was gonna, I was gonna complete the sentence with some of the worst movies ever committed to celluloid. But hey, you know, I haven't laughed as a movie so hard as since you and I watched House of the Dead. Ugh. Things would have been fine if I hadn't gone to that rave. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great opening line. Yeah, definitely. There are some really decent animated Halo movie type of things but that i don't think that counts as a feature film mm -mm. i don't know about justin but 
I considered myself for a decade or more to be a pretty hardcore gamer. World of Warcraft, played the hell out of that, Mortal Kombat, Tomb Raider, Doom, Wing Commander. I mean, most of these movies that have come out, Hitman, Assassin's Creed, I have played all of these games. I get really into them. And so I have seen probably most of the video game adaptations that have come out. Now, lately, honestly, because of podcasting, I haven't had the time to keep up with my gaming. But I've played a ton of games. And it's ironic, though, Stuart, because I never would have played Resident Evil, except one time I went up to visit you in Chicago, and you're like, hey, look at this game I bought. And then I went home and bought it. You played Resident <laughs> Evil before me. Why didn't I give it to you? I just want to put it out there. I don't know if they still do it. That was in the era where they made video games for PC. So I didn't have a video game console. I had like floppy disks and a keyboard with no controller. So you had to like figure out letters to control people and maybe the space bars, the firing the gun. It was too complicated. I don't think I got three rooms into that game. Yeah, well, it was CD based. <laughs> and so you needed the CD to play and you were convinced you were going to become a gamer. I honestly think I may have done that to you because every time we talked, I'd be like, I got this new game. And I came up and visited <laughs> you and you had like four games. I don't remember that. Wow, yeah. And I don't, I had, I remember playing one game. Oh, you know what? That was right after college. I was desperate. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that era. It was very dark. Yeah, bad times. <laughs> I went home and bought Resident Evil. I was a PC gamer. All this stuff you just said about, I have to use the keyboard for controls. I roll my eyes. I'm like, dude, that's how you really play a game. Give me WASD and a mouse any fucking day. But... Uh-oh, he's getting into Leet speak. <laughs> <laughs> but Resident Evil was a console game, and... At that period in time, I looked down my nose at console gamers. PC is where the games were at, motherfucker. If you had a PlayStation, you weren't serious. But <laughs> I did play those Leisure Suit Larry games. Did love those. Oh, yeah. I like the one with the scratch and sniff. Yes, it exists. Oh, boy. But I tried to play Resident Evil for the PC. 3D acceleration for pc was not all that great back then i think i got like four rooms into it as well and while i love the concept it wasn't until the gamecube came out that i really got into the series proper i'd been meaning to play it for four or five years they remastered the games for gamecube exclusively and i bought all those discs i played all the way through one all the way through two part of the way through three and some of zero and some of the mobile games. I mean, I played quite a bit and loved this Romero ripoff video game. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a house with three little brothers, so none of us really could play any of these really involved story games. We all got pretty good at fighting games and sports games, whereas, you know, two of you sit down and you're done in 15 minutes because, you know, you can't have a monopoly on the, the console all afternoon. So I, maybe that's what kind of shaped me moving forward because I've played through a few levels of Resident Evil, but I think I've watched friends and roommates do more of it than I've ever played. So I'm I'm aware of some of the tropes and the things that are in that game, but I couldn't tell you 
boo or hiss about who's in it or what the main storyline is. I think what I responded to it was it really did capture the feel of a horror movie. I mean, there were video games that were horrific before, but it was like Atari Haunted House. Remember that? Oh, I love that where you were the eyes and then you'd <laughs> get the lighter and it would be the orange blob around you. Gotta yeah. play the hell out of that game. Not really scary stuff <laughs> once you pop it in. But this one did have, it was ominous. There were silences. You could hear thumping and noises in the background, and you never knew what you were going to get when you walked through a door. And so there was something I thought about the gameplay that worked like a movie. To hear that it was going to be turned into a movie, yeah, I I could see that working. And what was different about Resident Evil for me is I came from the era of Doom and Quake and Hexen and those games where you got a gun, you shot things. Resident Evil is credited as being the film that got the moniker. You know, the way Saw kind of, it wasn't the first torture porn film, but it was the one that popularized the term. Resident Evil was survival horror, and it took me a while to wrap my mind around the fact, especially with the remasters, if I shot a zombie and he went down, he got back up again a little bit later. The point of the game wasn't to kill the zombies. It took me a bit to understand The point of the game is to not be killed by the zombies and running around them is perfectly acceptable and not pussy at all. They changed that with later games. They did embrace more of an action feel. But those first two games specifically, it was a lot of fun to really feel like you're in a horror movie with these slow rambling zombies that you can run around and still complete your missions. Question. It sounds like you know a lot more about the game than I ever did. Why was it even called Resident Evil? Where did Evil live that he was a resident? Well, it's not called Resident Evil, really. As with most console games, it started in Japan, Mm -hmm. where it was called Biohazard. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's all about biological agents turning people into zombies. But when they started looking at bringing it over to America, they realized they couldn't use that term. There was a Biohazard Studios and... A band? Yeah. The band, I think, was the big thing that stopped them. And they realized they couldn't copyright Biohazard over here. So the team sat around and came up with a whole bunch of names. And they didn't like any of them. But the one that seemed to capture it best was Resident Evil, because you're in a house and there's evil. So they went with it. (laughs) That is truly some Japanese to English translation. (laughs) There was no mass plan behind it so much as we need something we can stamp a TM after. Okay, yeah. I mean, it it's distinctive. I mean, I it, it's one of those titles that you, when you hear it, you don't think about what it could mean. You just want to play it. it. You know, the images pop up. I think it's effective once you see the game. But stopping and asking why is what we do. And my oh my, when we do that tonight, <laughs> there are going to be a lot of stops along the way. <laughs> well, I mentioned that this is a Romero ripoff. And really, that's what I feel about the game. This movie that we're going to discuss actually takes things from the first five games, which is Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, and then Survivor and Code Veronica. Those were the five games out around this time. But the very first game feels like you're at this mansion in the wilderness. It could be 
you're walking into a situation after Night of the Living Dead. You're going into a house, there's some zombies in there, and then you discover there's an underground lab. So when it came time to adapt this to film, they went to George Romero, and he spent a couple of years doing this. He'd have his secretary play through the entire game and record it on videotape so he could watch it again and again and faithfully adapt that first video game to the screen. He kept the same characters from the first one, Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine, and really was adapting the video game in a horrific manner, not trying to make this kung fu film we're talking about tonight. Oh, really? Well, I will dispute that based on the first draft. I mean, who knows what it ended up being, but I did get a hold of a copy of the first draft Romero turned in of this film, and I gotta say... Without playing the video game, it feels like the script for a video game. It has none of what you would expect from the man who made Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. There's no satirical elements to the zombies. There's no people trapped in a location with them busting through the door. Is it what I'd suspect from the director of Survival of the Dead? Uh, <laughs> no, because that had satirical elements as well. What it feels, I can tell you what it's about. There's a character named Chris Redfield who loves nature, lives near a rural town called Raccoon City, discovers that his girlfriend Jill Valentine is actually part of a black ops team working for the Umbrella Corporation who's called away when the T-virus infects everyone in an underground lab. Sounds pretty similar, right? Mm -hmm. The main difference is there's no mystery to the characters. What is built into the movie tonight we're talking about is who are they, how did this happen? There's none of that to this script. It is just running through rooms and shooting and a lot of tech, a lot of video game martial arts action. The major difference that I could tell was that instead of it being airborne, the virus spread through water. So you had everything from people being zombies to sharks in a tank, zombie sharks, and even monster plants. There were like Giant roses and all that attacked people. I'm not kidding. That was in the video game. There were monster plants. There's monster sharks and things like that. So that is not shocking. Okay. It was shocking to me. Because if there's one animal that needs to be scarier, it's a shark. <laughs> I can see why they didn't make it. I'll leave it at that. It seemed to me not only was it not very compelling and, you know... No interesting characters, monotonous. Maybe something that's always true about video games. You could fix it with a cool budget. But that's the thing. It Red is very expensive. To read it scene by scene, I was like, oh, this is going to cost so much money. Romero's never had a budget where he could do this kind of stuff. Nor has he ever demonstrated being really good with this level of intense action. So I just didn't see why they would trust him to make that kind of movie. But that sounds a little bit more faithful to the actual game, though. Those names sound familiar. Yeah, those are the two characters you could choose to play as in that first game. They weren't romantically linked. They were both commandos, part of the Stars team, which it turns out is kind of run by Umbrella, but it thinks of itself as like some kind of mobile police force that are going in to investigate some disturbances in Raccoon City. I think that we're not saying different things. Romero took that story and tried to adapt it with those characters very much to the screen. And it's really funny because Capcom's producer, Yoshiki Akamoto, 
actually just said to Electronic Gaming Monthly, Romero's script wasn't good, so Romero was fired. (laughs) (laughs) That is not very political there, Alcamoto. No, but it's pretty on point. I mean, I've got to say, again, it was a first draft. Maybe all first drafts kind of suck. But I just didn't see anything about it that would work as a movie. I mean, you do want to have something about the characters that you're asking about or develop or change. And, And here, yeah, it just didn't seem to serve the gifts that we know Romero has in his best movies. I mean, he's the guy that satirizes corporations and capitalism with his zombies, not makes a shiny video game product. And this is just something better suited to a guy that makes music videos and slick contemporary things. What Romero said is he didn't think Capcom was into the spirit of the video game. They wanted to make it more action, more of a war movie. And so they just never liked his script. Capcom didn't like the idea of making a movie out of their own video game. That's Here's what was said is that Romero's script was close, but not a full adaptation of the game. And so Capcom felt that too much had been altered, that newcomers wouldn't like the premise, and fans of the game would feel upset that stuff was changed. So it wasn't going to serve new audiences or the existing fans. That seems like a mouthful of gobbledygook after what we're about to review with that knowledge (laughs) without Romero's knowledge Paul Anderson who was a fan of the game series coming in actually he Jovovich and Rodriguez all were like devotees of the game before ever signing on to this but Anderson was looking to do action horror he'd done Mortal Kombat he'd done Event Horizon a movie that is reviewed in our book so Obviously, one of us is a big fan. That happens to be me. (laughs) I'll let you figure out what I think of it. (laughs) By the book. (laughs) And he then wrote a treatment that he took to Capcom that took it into a more action-oriented direction. Coincidentally, Capcom was taking their games in a more action-oriented direction. So, yes, they released Romero and hired Anderson to make the film we got. And it's an independent production. This movie was financed with Japanese financing for $35 million, and there was no going over budget. If you spent over in one spot, you had to take away in another because that was the money you had. But it was distributed by screen gems but yeah this is really a lot like the reanimator films we're discussing on the donation feed i've seen a lot of parallels in these zombie films this independent production privately financed that is about reanimated corpses you know i've actually seen this movie before not only have i played the game for five minutes but i spent two dollars to rent it back in 2002 and thought it was worth both those dollars i mildly enjoyed it i couldn't remember a thing about it other than high kicking some zombie dogs when i tried to recall (laughs) anything about the plot you know 28 days later came out the next summer we became flooded with zombie movies and there was just no turning back i did not get hooked into the franchise by the time the sequel came out 
There were plenty of other movies that looked more like a zombie movie rather than a slipped-up action movie that had zombies as the martial artists. And so I don't know this franchise, but this film I have seen before. And hazy, though they may be, my memories were mildly positive. This is the first time I've sat down and watched this movie. I've always... It's always been in my peripheral. I mean, I've always known that Mia Jovovich is in it, and she's a kick-ass kung fu person. I knew it was based on a video game. I just, I never got around to seeing these, and then, you know, next thing you do, you turn around, and there's, what, 34 of these episodes? Okay, so like <laughs> six, right? But yeah, this this thing exploded out of control before I could even hop in, so I'm kind of coming into this whole thing fresh. And I'm the fan of this series as we play our roles of Justin's the newbie. I'm the one who was there opening weekend for Resident Evil. I saw Mila Jovovich high-kicking a zombie dog, and I'm like, that's a movie I need to see. I saw the second one in theaters. I then dropped out of the series after the second oh, one. Oh, the fan! I saw two of them! <laughs> well, that would on this podcast make you the super fan. Actually, though... It started looking really good again with parts four, five, six. I really wanted to get back into it. So with when five came out, I was like, push it. We should do Resident Evil. We should do Resident Evil. Oh, it doesn't fit the schedule, Stuart tells me, because he doesn't want to do it. So <laughs> it's not the only reason. Sometimes it really doesn't fit the schedule, but you weren't wrong. I did not think I wanted to do a lot time for this. So just about a year ago, Christmas of 15, I marathon these things. I watched them all in my home theater for fun. And you know what? I had quite a bit of fun. That brought me back to the status of the fan of these films. And when I heard it was ending, we had to do it. I was insistent. Yeah, I mean, you are behind this. It also helps that it's January and there's not much else out. It was either this or Triple X. I'm like, okay, we can go with Resident Evil. I remember liking at least one of those. <laughs> this new Triple X looks like the best yet. No shit. He brought the fur line <laughs> collar back. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> all right, Arnie, super fan that, that you are. You give him the plot, then we get to tear it all up. <laughs> tear it up with some Manson music, you mean? Maybe. Tear it up like a good party? Resident Evil is set in the early 21st century, as the opening title tells us. Convenience, as it came out in the early 21st century. <laughs> And the Umbrella Corporation has become the largest commercial entity in the United States. On the surface, the corporation is a benevolent medical and computer technology company. Because we want Microsoft giving us our pills. Right. <laughs> but in private, they're a genetic weapons contractor. This has remained a secret until a mysterious person steals vials of their new T-virus and breaks one open, infecting everyone in Umbrella's secret underground hive. Now, Penny the fool that breathed that gas. <laughs> oh, not that kind of tea. <laughs> <laughs> it actually stands for tyrant. Oh, okay. The virus triggers security systems in the mainframe AI known as the Red Queen and personified by a hologram of a little British girl, because it doesn't get scarier than that. She uses security systems to trap and kill everyone in the compound. But above the hive is a mansion that works as a secret entrance. In it is a woman played by Mila Jovovich, who is named in the credits as Alice, so I guess that's what we'll call her. Is she never named in the movie? Not once. Never huh. said. How strange. Now, I wrote down at about 27 minutes in, like, does anybody in this movie have a name? <laughs> because that, nobody was saying names or talking to anybody by name. 
I was just, okay, there's that guy, that guy, that guy, and her. And I caught everybody else's name. The one I knew was Alice coming in, and they never say Alice. And in fact, we'll talk about it, but she wasn't intended to be Alice. But as she is showering, a gas is released that knocks her out and gives her amnesia. And when she comes to, the house is being stormed by a SWAT team, plus two others. A man named Matt, who says he's a cop and played by Eric Mabius. And a man named Spence, another amnesiac who, from photos, appears to be Alice's husband. The three civilians are taken into the hive by the SWAT team, where the Red Queen takes out most of the squad. Soon, only Alice, Spence, and Matt are left with surviving SWAT team members, Rain Ocampo, played by Michelle Rodriguez, and computer expert Kaplan, played by Martin Cruz, who succeeds in disabling the Red Queen's attack systems. But powering down the computer open doors where staff members, now mindless zombies infected with the T-virus, begin to attack. Rain and Kaplan are bitten, but the group try to escape as Alice and Spence start to regain their memories. And the backstory we're shown in flashback, the two were both security, stationed in the mansion, protecting the secret entrance and pretending to be married. But Alice was put off by the illegal genetic research, so she had partnered with some activists to take information about the virus public. And her contact was Matt, who isn't actually a cop, but an environmentalist. And he's returned to the compound looking for his sister, who he'd sent undercover into the hive to gather information. But Spence's memories show he was the one who stole the virus and infected the compound, thinking he could sell the virus on the black market and use the money to run away with Alice. When this is revealed, he is ostracized from the group and killed by a monstrous liquor that has been loose in the compound. Yes, that beast is called the liquor. <laughs> I couldn't catch his name, but... <laughs> the four remaining survivors fight their way through a zombie horde with Alice discovering secret martial arts skills. They take out many zombies plus the liquor with both Rain and Kaplan being killed. Matt, clawed by the liquor, and Alice escape back to the mansion where they're captured by Umbrella scientists. Infected, Matt is taken away to be part of their new Nemesis program while Alice is taken for study. And when she wakes up, she's alone in a new compound. She works her way outside to find a post-apocalyptic world where it seems everyone is dead as credits roll. So just to start, if you're thinking, because you don't know the games, that Alice is one of the characters you get to play and you get to do all these martial arts things, and that somewhere in there is Spence and Matt and Rain, no, this is not any of the characters, although... In Mila Jovovich and Paul Anderson's mind, Mila was playing the character of Jill Valentine. Yeah, I mean, it's an archetype of the series that there's these tough women that can do these things. I think that they probably did eventually make a game with this character, right? Nope. Really? Really. It's strictly movie business that we have an Alice. What about a hive? Well, the underground compound is a common thing. But a lot of this is really looking at that very first three games that take place in Raccoon City, where Umbrella is an underground lab. It's not multi-layered hive. It doesn't appear to have hundreds of employees that come to work every day. But it is a secret underground research facility underneath a spooky mansion. Okay. But no, Alice and all of them created for the movie... 
I haven't played all the later games, but in my reading, she never appears in the games. And what Paul Anderson had pitched this as and what this is in his mind is the prequel to the first game. Instead of trying to really adapt, he brings in these elements. But this is to explain how the virus first got out and create the situation where the stars characters would come in in the first game. So do the movies and games ever overlap or coexist at all? Or is there just basically two different things going on in the same sandbox universe of Resident Evil? Pretty much. I mean, we're going to see characters that are important to the games come into the movies. The movies continually take inspiration from the games, but... There's no crossovers. If you want those crossovers, there are movies, and we'll talk about one of them at the end of this series. There's an entire series of direct-to-video computer graphic movies that take place in the video game universe. So no, what we're watching is the Resident Evil movie universe. Much like Marvel has their cinematic universe and then there's the comics universe, that's, I think, what we're dealing with is a movie adaptation. Also worth noting, this movie was going to be called Resident Evil Ground Zero, you know, to be the prequel. Uh, then 9-11 happened. Yeah. Bad timing, I guess. Oh, yeah. March 2002. Not a great time to be talking about Ground Zero and not thinking about New York. Sure, and I don't think this movie suffers from not having a subtitle. You know, I mean, looking forward to the ones coming out next, I can't keep them straight. There's a bunch of subtitles after Resident Evil. I know, I really wish they used numbers on those sequels. I Yeah, I figured it out, but I had to go to the internet in order to. <laughs> so did I. I bought all these movies for my marathon last Christmas, and I'm like, all right, what's next? Yeah. No, so as, as a casual observer here, this movie offers enough stuff that's recognizable from a guy who only kind of played the game. You know, Umbrella Corp is there. That's a big thing. Zombie dogs are there. And liquors are there. Those are three things that stick out enough in my mind to make this in the Resident Evil universe. And like you said, Arnie, if we look at it in such a way that, you know, the Marvel universe on the screen doesn't follow what's going on in the comics, I can be okay with that. So I'm okay to go ahead with whatever story they're going to tell me here with this cast of characters. Umbrella is the bad guy always. They're the ones that are always unleashing the terror inadvertently or advertently they cause all the misery indeed okay and there's evil corporate people at the top of it i mean it's your standard anti-establishment stuff nothing here is original in the game and Honestly, while there are some great stories in video games, so don't take this as a 100%, but a generalization, having played a lot of games and loved them, is they aren't overly original. They look at movies and pop culture and say, here's some stories that would make a good game. Let's ape just enough that we're not violating copyright and do that. And so the original game, I mean, it is about a virus breaking loose. I mean, that Return of the Living Dead in 85, 84, and how many other movies are that a virus breaks loose to create the zombies, I mean, all of the Return of the Living Deads, 28 Days Later, will take the exact same thing with the Rage Virus the next year. So that's a common trope. The zombies in the house, totally Romero. 
evil corporations. Let's face it, this movie is very much inspired by The Matrix. Oh, is that your go-to? I was going to use James Cameron's Aliens. That, to me, is almost a one-for-one in this movie. I can see an equivalency for almost every creative decision originating from the Alien sequel. Oh, I can almost hear the elevator pitch that got Anderson this movie, which was basically, all right, you take Aliens and you put it with the Matrix and you throw in a little RoboCop and we've got a movie. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds much better than Romero's idea. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> and I, I want to put it out there. As someone that usually can be very hard on genre films when they are stupid, I am not looking for this movie to originate or pioneer anything. It's a video game movie. And you're right, Arnie. In this era, at any rate, video games, that was the selling point. Oh, I get to play something that I saw in a movie. That will be really cool. I understand this is going to be a stitch together, Frankenstein. I just need them to stitch from things I want to play or experience again. And so what we get here at the beginning, yeah, kind of is reminiscent of the beginning of The Stand. We see a lot of corporate people working in an underground lab fall over dead because somebody threw a helix vial. My first of many questions, is this a good design for a building that you're working with this kind of level of toxins and the only way to deal with it if there is an outbreak is to kill everyone? Yes, absolutely. I mean, think about the alternative. Then the only way to deal with it is to let it out into the air. Let me stop you. We have a cure for it, by the way, but we're just going to kill you. I guess the better question is, is I do think, yes, having a fail-safe underground bunker that you can just seal off, contain it, be done, is a good idea. Now, having the accounting department and accounts receivable (laughs) and all that in that same area. The air vent goes to all of it? That's really bad design. Whoever designed this hive really was just asking. I mean, you need a suicide clause in your contract. I mean, you'd you'd have to want to kill yourself in order to work in this kind of environment. It's Of course that's going to happen. And you would want something more like, oh yeah, we can shut down the vents or pump you full of the antivirus. That the Red Queen makes this feels a bit hasty to me. That said, my next question is, did she really malfunction? Or is this exactly what you would do if everyone is going to be turning into zombies? I think that's exactly what she's programmed for, is containment. It may not seem humane to the people in there, but you gotta think what the cost is to everybody else. So why send a team to see what the hell is going on? Or or to shut this thing down? This thing worked the way it was supposed to? Yeah, that's a good question. I was really never sure what the team was exactly sent to do. Yeah, no, and and she should be communicating with whoever's up ground. I would think it would be Alice, the person that's overseeing the whole entry exit, to say, hey, here's what's going on. Instead, she's gassing Alice, and she won't even be able to remember who she is when she wakes up. Not a great thing to do to your gatekeeper. That is a strange defense mechanism, is... Hey, amnesia gas the survivors. <laughs> yeah, I, and yeah. Meanwhile, it's a different gas that's flooding into the office space that we are watching a lot of people cough and choke and die. Not from the outbreak of the virus. They're not infected per se. They're being poisoned by the Red Queen. The artificially intelligent computer is releasing 
something in the air. Maybe it, it seems to think that there's a fire drill going on because it also is releasing water and setting off the fire alarms and locking the doors. And I don't know if that's flame retardant or, or whatever, but it's a gas that kills most of the building. Yeah, I think that's just part of the, the lockdown protocol was to seal everything off, turn on all the water, turn on the gases to kill everybody. But I guess I didn't get that, that Red Queen was killing people with gases. I thought that was the virus because eventually a lot of those people turned into the zombies. Well, that's what I would think, that if you had something that was going to make them a zombie, you want to keep these people alive. You don't want to kill them. That only makes them, like, quicker to turn into what you don't want them to be. But I think once you're exposed to it, you're dead. You may have a slower death or a faster death. No! Yes. They have an antivirus. They have something that will cure you. Maybe. The Red Queen says she doesn't deal in chance. There's a chance it could have cured them. <laughs> I'll say, I'm not going to risk you not getting this, so I'll just kill you. Again, a bit hasty. Not a good design. Well, I'm not sure that we ever see it work either. They do have an antivirus. They do try to use it. But does it yeah, work? This is all kinds of bad logic. I'm just going to put it out there. Our job is to stop the movie and point out flaws. I won't be able to get five steps without doing it in this plot. It is that bad. Well, let's take it a step further because I revealed in the plot summary, we find out who this masked person is who's stealing the virus. And that's going to be Spence. Who is... A fellow gatekeeper. Yeah, he's pretending to be married to Alice and live in that mansion above, when in fact they're security guards, even though he doesn't have her ninja training. And his plan is he's going to steal this virus and run away with her, sell the virus on the black market, and by the way, I'm going to start a plague on my way out the door? <laughs> that does not seem like the greatest of plans. Yeah, uh, you don't need to kill anyone if you're just trying to get away with it, right? I mean, that doesn't seem to make any sense. It seems... I guess what it does is it is a distraction so that no one's looking for you in the chaos. So he just is that cavalier about killing, what, 300 employees or whatever. Who cares? No one will notice me slipping out the back door. Yeah, I mean, if we want to give this movie mulligans and fill in the gaps, it might not be a horrible plan because he seals it off. He leaves. He has the only samples of this left alive, which, you know, then increases the value on the black market of such a product. So it's not the most irredeemable thing that this movie does. He doesn't seal it off, though. It seals off on its own. Right. He, I think he knows the protocol will bring about that seal off. And he basically just walks away with the only samples of this and everybody else is just gone. Does Alice know he's doing this? I mean, she won't know in the movie because she's got amnesia. But if she didn't get that gas, would she be waiting for him to come with the stuff? She's clearly working with people that are trying to overthrow this company, but this is a separate plan to overthrow this company. Yeah, I think both their gatekeepers are working against them. <laughs> but on different plans. Boy, you need a new security team when you got two people for a 500-person complex and neither of them is loyal. Well, I think her disloyalty inspired his, and I found his motivation to be fuzzy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Profiteering is a simple enough and stock motivation, but what I'm sussing from this and some reading of articles from people who's read the novelization to this movie. I knew there was a book, but I refused to buy it. I'm like, this is not literature. I will not do it. <laughs> 
Did that book come inside of the game case? <laughs> it actually came out a few years later. They hired an author to novelize the first three. And I do have the key differences. And you think you have a bad job. <laughs> but from all of this, what it appears is he knew of Alice's plan to steal this virus and make it go public. And he thought it wouldn't work. And he thought they were in love. And so he was trying to give her what she wanted by destroying the plant and deciding we can't go public with this, but we can sell it to competitors and make a lot of money. Oh, you're right. There's that flashback scene where he's listening to their conversation with the miracle ear from across the cemetery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He sleeps with her and he's the kind of guy that falls in love if the sex is good. I don't think she's into it. I mean, she's into it because she, you know, it's consensual, but I mean, she doesn't love him. And I, I don't know, it's very difficult to know what Alice is because we never really get to see her before any of this. She will spend the whole movie in a haze, vaguely remembering things that have happened, but not her own motives. So I don't know if she's part of this plot or not. I think she is part of the good people plot. Because we want people to overthrow the Umbrella Corporation, but we also want to have a villain, and, you know, this is Burke from Aliens. So we just got to have the corporate stooge that's going to steal the deadly thing to make profit on it. And he even kind of looks like Paul Reiser a little bit. Oh, Paul Reiser, totally, yeah. And a little Thomas Jane, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got far more Thomas Jane off of him than any Paul Reiser, but they're both brunettes, I suppose. Yeah, a little bit of curly hair. Yeah, and they have the exact same character arc. I mean, they're killed the same way, everything. But let's get to Alice. And you're saying she wasn't called Alice in the script? They never really named her. She might have been Alice in the script, but they were planning in their mind that this was Jill Valentine, the protagonist of... Why not make it her? Well, it's just they never got to a name, and then they've gone a different direction with this character, as we're going to find out. But... My God, it's not even subtle. Sometimes I can miss some allegories going on. But Paul W.S. Anderson, Alice, Red Queen. I mean, the Alice in Wonderland stuff here is thick. And apparently from the behind the scenes stuff, he's telling other characters, okay, you're the Cheshire Cat. You're the one who's always concerned with time. You're going to be our rabbit. And you, I want you to be sitting on a pipe above everyone, and you're going to be like the hookah-smoking caterpillar. I mean, he was really envisioning this as Lewis Carroll. And why? I mean, you know, you mentioned artistic douchebaggery. I would never call this movie art, but that is some <laughs> douchebaggery. <laughs> I don't think there's any better reasoning than that it's artistic douchebaggery yeah okay well yeah great way to throw some literary reference into your movie that's illiterate but okay we don't even have a name for the character but we're going to reference alice in wonderland i mean that's fine the idea that she's falling into this mad world is you know i'll go with it that's that's good enough here but again i see a lot more alien than i see lewis carroll you look at it though when they go to the hive what's the entrance a mirror, the looking glass. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I like the idea. One thing, I'm not going to say this a lot in this podcast, but one thing I really like about this movie is the fact that we do the 90s thing. You know, there were a lot of movies from Memento, Usual Suspects, Six Sense, Seven. There were all these movies that were like puzzles and trying to figure things out. 
We could have had a movie in which the main character had very clear motivations and we liked her right from the beginning and knew who she was. But the piecing together the identity feels very much of its time in cinema at that, that noir stuff. And I like that they do that. I'm not going to say that the mysteries they reveal about her come together satisfyingly, but I like the fact that the movie builds around who she is and what she might have done and that she even challenges whether she might be the bad guy at a certain point. I think that that pulls us in more, that she just kind of wakes up naked in a shower and is finding these talismans, a red dress, a note, guns in her wardrobe. What could it all mean? And they did this in the game Resident Evil Survivor as well. There's a game where the character you're playing thinks he's the mastermind behind a complete evil umbrella plot that involved literally brain surgery with no anesthesia on pubescent children. Was this before or after Dark City? Because what I kept thinking about was the way Dark City opens and you're just waking up at a crime scene and not knowing your role in it. Yeah, that game came out a couple of years before this movie, so definitely after Dark City. At any rate, it's a plot device that I think you're right, Stuart, adds a little bit of something for us to hold on to while we're basically just leveling up through this plot. Yeah, I'm much more into this movie because I'm asking questions. I don't know that I always get answers, and certainly as we stop and go through, I look to you guys to fill in gaps, but the fact that they're trying to build a mystery, however poorly, is a compelling hook. Yeah, I was fooled. I mean, I saw this movie just last year, but when I'm really paying attention to plot and things, I couldn't remember if this is one of those... The movie I went to was Total Recall, right? Where, because they don't remember the things they did in their former persona, are we going to side with Alice, even if she had been the one to mastermind the theft that led to the breakout? I mean, I think we could go with that because we as an audience treat dissociative personalities as different people. And if she, after amnesia, was righteous, we would perhaps forgive her for masterminding this whole thing. So I couldn't remember which way it was going to go. Why are we on Mia's side? I mean, she's hot. I guess that would be the main reason. Like, she, she's a beautiful woman, and we're intrigued by that. Especially starting with gratuitous nudity. That never hurt to get me on a woman's side. Oh, boy. Yeah, but in general, I mean, I guess she has some carryover from the fifth element where she was a literally like a baby woman and was completely innocent and, you know, wanted world peace and all of this. There was something very infantile about her characterization, and this feels very much of a same piece. She's almost giving the exact same performance. Yeah, I mean, with a little bit better dialect. But this character, she gives us some things to grab onto. I mean, she is compassionate towards this team as they get deeper and deeper in. She's the one who doesn't want to let people go. She's the one who's willing to risk her own life to help other people out, where others might not necessarily be doing that. So I can see why we're siding with her as generically good at this point. And she's our point of view character, even though she's not the only amnesiac, which I kind of feel is a misstep, because I don't feel that Spence's amnesia is ever served as well as hers. We could have had Spence pretend to be an amnesiac because he doesn't want to be blamed for what he did, what have you. But we see the breakout, but we don't really know what's going on. And 
When she wakes up, she's naked. She doesn't know who she is. We can view this as her rebirth. And we don't know what's going on either. So as she learns, we learn. And that endears us to her. She should know what's going on, though, right? Because she's the head of security. She should be monitoring banks and being like, oh, my God, the virus is out. I mean, she should have that information. That she doesn't is the fault of the Red Queen. That's the malfunction. Malfunction, plot, bad timing for a shower. Yeah. Did you guys notice when she wakes up in the shower, her hair is perfect. She didn't get a drop of water on that hair. <laughs> The whole thing is perfect. I mean, she's completely naked, but in a very PG-13 way. The curtain is draped over just right to not reveal anything too risque. You get some nipple, and this is an R-rated film. Sure. Yeah. But it almost felt contractual. And lots of referencing Psycho, you know, that shot of the eye and Janet Lee dying in the shower. They almost recreate it here for no real reason. Actually, the eye was because when you first load the original game, it starts with a shot of an eye. Okay, but the fact that it's in the shower and they literally do the same kind of tracking shot as before, I I just feel like there's lots of references. This is not the only one. I mean, I feel like uh, there's a 2001 reference. There's of Cube, the sci-fi movie Cube. We'll talk about it when we get there. Mm -hmm. But all over the place, this movie is just grabbing ideas that other movies have put forth. Most definitely. One thing I don't understand, even in retrospect, is why is Matt here and why is the SWAT team breaking through the windows? Okay, Matt is here because his sister works in the hive he sent her in alice got her the job yeah i assume that when they met in the graveyard she gave her an id badge and said away you go kid this is some really lack security i just want to put it out there two people big facility i think like most strip malls have better security from rent-a-cops than what this corporation is doing well they're only guarding the mansion which is the back entrance the hive has its own other entrance that we never see used it does uh, that's what i inferred when the leader of the swat team played by colin salmon he was in avp we've talked about him before he was almost james bond he says that this is the secret entrance i take it to mean there's not a secret entrance as well but i can't imagine every single employee there's a lot of them walk through that mansion every day <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they need a really big parking lot. I thought that they all lived down there. I mean, later we're going to see that there's skylines built in in there that just to create the impression that they're outdoors. I thought these people were down here for long extended periods of time. I mean, I can't imagine this is a nine to five job. I mean, working with deadly viruses. Yeah, it feels like they're there for clips at a time and maybe they get leave every once in a while. Yeah, but I mean, if there's another entrance, boy, why aren't they going through that? I mean, this doesn't seem like the fastest way. I imagine they take that train and it's a longer commute because <laughs> there is probably a parking <laughs> garage somewhere. And so why the SWAT team breaks in, they don't know what they're getting into. They just know there's an outbreak. Why don't they know that? Why, why does it take them five hours to get there? Why do they not know what's going on? Why does the person that's manning the station that should know what's going on have amnesia? All of this is really like, huh? I mean, if I set my house on fire and called and someone said the nearest station is Vegas, that is the same response as these people swooping in. Those people should be in the mansion. 
They should be under Alice's control. She should be telling them to go in there, not them grabbing her, shaking her, and going, oh, that's right, she won't know anything. Well, this is not an umbrella security force. This is SWAT, and SWAT is not first responders. You... It's not umbrella? They're all under yeah, umbrella. he says we all work for the same people. They're umbrella. But what we're finding out is umbrella doesn't know what the hell it's doing. They're making oatmeal or poison. They can't, what are we doing? They're like, got their finger in too many jars, and clearly... Their security team needs to get on the page. I heard him say we work all for the same people, but because they're never called stars, they're never really called anything. They're just commandos. I took it as they were actual government, USA. I mean, yeah. why would they know about it? Why would they, where would they be getting information then? Okay, so let's just all agree this setup kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> let's all agree it's aliens. Except that made sense because they found Ripley. She told them about it, and they were like, "Oh, we already have a colony in there," and that's what prompted the whole outbreak and got everything going. But however, because they're trying to jerry rig that plot into this scenario, it just don't fit. Yeah, this is probably the point in the script writing and doctoring that somebody said, well, what about Alice in Wonderland? And they said, oh, okay, let's do that. Because you're right, this is a sticking point where if you start thinking about anything too closely, you're going to get lost and the movie's going to be 10 minutes past you already. Oh, yeah, it's totally stupid. And it, but I want to stress another thing here that's a compliment. I'm not paying attention to this when I'm watching the movie because it's not that kind of movie. Even though there's mysteries and questions and all of that, it's cut so fast, the camera's moving all the time. Even when people are standing there, like the camera's circling them. Like everything feels very, very fast and fleet. And there's just not a lot of time to process. Or at least my brain can't process at the rate that this movie's moving. So these are all things that are coming to me after the fact. After the credits roll, I go, hey, did that all add up? You're right, because I'm getting into this movie I'm liking the score. We had Marilyn Manson here doing the music, giving it a real kind of electronica heavy vibe. Marilyn Manson? Really? Yeah. I thought it was Marco Beltrami. Yeah. With Marilyn Manson. Oh. What was he doing? <laughs> Helping Marco Beltrami <laughs> make it not sound like a classical score? Well, he doesn't do keyboards and synthesizers. <laughs> this feels like a night at the techno club. Well, Manson wanted it to sound different than his singles and things but he was here to give mood and atmosphere and what paul ws anderson said he wanted was a 21st century version of a 70s john carpenter score yeah i mean it kind of comes down on like that acid house mm -hmm. type of yeah rock and sound thank you i don't know all of those various terms for music to get to slice it that thin but yes i completely agree with that and so even though i have listened to two commentaries, watched hours of bonus features, and watched this movie a couple of times for this review. And I think because I've lived with this movie now for 14 years, I just rolled with all this shit. Mm, did they gas you when you opened up the thing? I mean, because, yeah, you just need to forget about the stuff that's not working, and it moves very... I mean, it helps that this movie's going to emulate one of my all-time favorite movies, the setup and the movement and all of that. I mean, the train barreling in is... Just like the way that the Marines came bustling into the colony and find the hive. And it helps that if you're going to steal, steal from the best. And so I want to stress, even though I'm going to complain and continue to complain about this plot, I'm not complaining while I'm watching this movie. It's kind of fun. No, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm enjoying the ride up to this point as well. It's, it's moving fast. The, it's got some late 90s 
MTV style quick cuts and flashy type of cinematography. So it's it's moving fast enough that I'm not getting stuck on any of these plot points. In the back of my brain this whole time is I know it's a video game movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for the next level or the next challenge to show up because you know that's going to be the progression of this movie. Yeah, and here's my next complaint. So they get to the first level, they get into the train, they barrel down there, they find the husband, all of it's set, they know what they're doing and what they've got to do and 22 hours to complete it. We got to get this, you know, device in there and shut down this computer. Why doesn't the Red Queen just kill them? Like, why not more gas? Why not just stop it? Yeah, you're right. At some point, she becomes a dungeon master and wants <laughs> to play a game. Yeah, I again, I don't even know if she's malfunctioning or whether she did exactly what she was supposed to, and they're overreacting. She did what she was supposed to, I believe, but they just don't like how extreme it was but she did the right thing if they well then take it up with the programmers i think they're dead <laughs> but they the people that built that computer are in the hive itself i wouldn't let them out what if you need support because there is an umbrella corporation all over the world and i would think that there is somebody accountable that is not in the building itself well, the Red Queen does try to take them out. Why doesn't she gas them? She didn't gas every room. So she had different ways of killing people. She actually did. No. She gassed the train even. That's why the husband has amnesia. She can gas anywhere. <laughs> but she also chose to do this really cool elevator death. That one freaked me out. And PSA moment, if you're trapped on an elevator... Don't try to climb out one between floors. What happens in this movie really does happen to some people, and they are killed when the elevator starts moving again and they're halfway out. Bad, bad idea, but a a nice fool scare here. Like, what we're talking about is one of the women tries to squeeze through just a little, little spot of the door that's open, and they are, the elevator floor is maybe a foot away from the top of the door. So she's got this little box that she thinks she's going to squeeze through. And I don't know what she thinks she's going to do once she gets out. Those other people are still stuck in there. But they hear the brakes releasing and the elevator starts to slam down. And from our perspective, we see her almost hit that ground and get decapitated. But it stops just in time. I'm not sure what stops it. Is this the Red Queen playing with people now? Yeah. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, that seems to me like malevolence. Like the Red Queen <laughs> wanted to kill that woman for no other reason than bloodlust. Not only kill her, but toy with her. Yeah. But most of these people are dead only because they were a risk of bringing a virus that should not go above ground, above ground. And so Red Queen should be saying that to somebody. Like, hey, don't go down here. I don't want you to get infected. This is a hazardous area. Yeah, couldn't take the risk. <laughs> of of of, commu- of speaking? Yeah, well, if you're in some place where she's going to speak to you... It might be too late already. Let's just kill you. No, I'm saying these guards, these people with guns that are trying to kill her, she should just like over intercom be like, hey, no need for you to fight through five levels. Let me tell you what went down. Okay, yeah. So that brings me to this question. All these cutaway scenes we're seeing with the really crappy CGI underground maps that, you know, keep showing where certain parts of the team are. You mean the levels? <laughs> yes, the, le- the legitimate <laughs> levels. Is that something just for us, the viewer's benefit? Or is that the Red Queen's perspective on where things are happening? I see that as the Red Queen's perspective. And also, 
again being somewhat true to the video games you're going to notice some weird camera angles that are like security camera footage going on they're recreating the high angles that are found in those first games where the camera didn't move with you like modern games you'd walk into a part of a room and the camera angle would shift which made controlling the game a bitch and because so much of that game, if you care about the story, is reading computer terminals and reading people's diaries and all of that. And it's honestly my favorite part of that first game is some of those diaries. They decided that it's no fun to have people reading a screen. So here's our little red queen that's going to just convey it all more dramatically. Yeah, it is no fun to read a screen, but they do do that crappy movie trope where if there's something on a computer screen it's way oversized so the camera can see it you know he's busting in to the red queen's corridor and that password screen takes up the entire monitor i assume some of that was coming from the gameplay like i assumed you would be able to see that mode when you played resident evil no there are some map screens that aren't very useful there are passwords you have to enter, and they do take up the whole screen in the game. Mm -hmm. I assume some of this is just, I wasn't going to challenge it, because I assumed that they were they were definitely emulating things that are about that game. And that's why I just completely roll with, it's a secret bunker underneath a mansion. It's really stupid, but if you're making a movie based on the game, you kind of got to go with the game. And I don't actually think that that's that stupid. I mean, we do know that they built facilities like this after 9-11, under innocuous things that there are strip malls out there that are actually the you know the gateways into these kinds of labs and bioterror places i mean this does exist i believe that a moonshine mansion could actually be the front door to corporate america and fun bit of trivia this movie was completely filmed in berlin and the mansion that they used for the exteriors and some of the interiors was actually Nazi bunkers that had some one-way glass and some prison rooms. So, Oh my god. And they actually had showers that people got gassed in? I can't imagine that that played well. I know. I I don't didn't say they had showers that gassed no, people. No, the opening of this movie is Mia in a shower being gassed. Oh, I <laughs> thought you meant like the house had the showers. No, I mean, I don't know. those. It. Maybe they used those fixtures. I don't know. But I'm just saying the very idea of evoking Holocaust imagery while you're filming in a Nazi bunker seems a tad risque. Also seems a little bit unnecessary considering the final cut of this movie. I was never really truly sold that they were in a mansion. It felt very much like a set. Because they were always just in that one big corridor and maybe a few side rooms. But we never really got a good sense of the outside or the space of this mansion, I don't feel. It all felt like it all happened in that one hallway where they all broke in at the beginning. Yeah, I'm not sure if the idea was to present them as a normal, everyday couple that was married and you'd never think something weird was going on there. You wouldn't have a mansion at all, right? They'd have like a normal house. So, I mean, no one asks questions about the rich. I don't. Who knows what goes on behind the Gilded Gates? But uh, let's just try to get through this level by level. We've now reached the level I will call Cube. You guys ever see Cube? When it was new and they were intentionally homaging that film with this laser grid that comes in and does some attacking. Yeah, I mean, this is straight out of there. And I'm not going to knock it. It was cool, but it's complete thievery. I mean, an homage. I mean, like, can you homage something that just came out? I mean, this is not referencing a classic movie. This is saying, oh, there's a little movie that not enough people saw we can get away with claiming as our own. They never even saw the movie. They just liked the idea and took it. 
<laughs> he probably never even read Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Who has? But this scene is the first time this movie does feel like a level of a video game. The rest of it feels like set up or it could be in a video game universe. But this actually feels like the first time I want to pick up a controller and try to pass this level myself. Yeah, it's a different video game. There's no laser beams you have to jump over in the video games that I've played. But yes, this is a very video game motif of you're in a corridor, there's the beams coming at you. This is something we're going to see again. I've already seen this in the trailer for the movie we're going to be doing weekend of release for this series. They love their lasers. I think it's fair to have this. I mean, it's cool, but like, shouldn't there be a way that the person can get out of it? Otherwise, why play games? Like, when it becomes a grid pattern that he cannot escape, I'm like, well, then why don't you just shoot him? I mean, like, this this is no longer a game. If you play Limbo, there's a chance you can go over or under. But if you come at them with that mesh laser pattern he's just gonna get diced yeah give him a chance like that game show from a few years ago the wall where people had to stand there on the edge and like match the shape that was coming at him so you have to like make your body contort like an egyptian i don't understand why if you have a grid pattern you don't start with that yeah right if you're a computer you go for efficiency you don't go for let's go for four passes because it's fun not only that but okay so there were two nameless people a medic and a leader all diced up in this way very cool look great not gonna knock that part well done, well executed as an homage or a ripoff. Yeah, I love the gore. I love the lost fingers. And when the body falls apart, actually when the first one falls apart, she gets cut in half and the neck goes... Decapitated, yeah. I love all of the sliding of the body parts off of each other. That is that is very cool imagery. Yeah, her eyes are still moving. But then the idiots just go in there and she doesn't do it to them. I mean, they didn't disable anything. They didn't change anything about it. Kaplan disabled it. How do you know that? Because he said I disabled it. He was trying to disable it while they were in there and he got it disabled a moment too late. He disables it and you think the commander is okay. Yeah. And then the commander starts to fall apart. Oh. Yeah, that's the crappy thing is he, we almost saved the commander, but no, he gets diced. Okay. Because they seem very nervous about entering in there again, but they're just grossed out is what it is. It's not that they think they're going to get lasered. I'm like, why wouldn't they be lasered? But they have definitely turned it off, but they're just sad that they lost their nameless teammates. Well, he's not sure for how long. He said it's it could reboot. Oh. So it could come back on at any time was the the suspense that's still left there. I guess. Okay. So anyway, I noticed the little how thing on the doorway and, you know, yes, a, a computer that kills people that are supposed to be its friends. I, I sort of get that. But she lets him into the throne room and then we get to see the hologram of the child. And this is the moment to explain, hey, I did everything I was supposed to. And they still shut it down. I shut down a computer that says, you're all going to die down here. Also, I'm. <laughs> if the computer has just killed some of my compatriots. Why did they go down there if they didn't know that this was the programming? To investigate. To try to recover survivors. I Do I need to hit the hammer that this is really, really stupid? You understand that, right? Like, this is stupid logic. Hey, asked and answered. We covered this at the beginning. <laughs> okay, all right. I just want to just hit it one more time. Dumb. 
Okay, then let's, the, why they're there, roll out, and let's go. Right, because at this point it goes from whatever they were doing to a, an escape movie now. Yeah, exactly. We're at the part where the Marines get there, they find the colonists, and they're all secreted up there, and they're zombies. And Vasquez gets bit, and yeah, I mean, I, I've seen this movie. Yeah, all the tropes of discovering a zombie are there, you know, not wanting to fire on a human, but you're not quite sure what's going on. Eventually you do shoot them, and then you're incredulous that they're not dead. As a viewer, we're like, yes, we've seen this a thousand times. It's a zombie. Shoot them in the head. Yeah, this is very Romero take on the material. I mean, they're slow moving. They eat. They don't, you know, go for brains. That was Return of the Living Dead. But they'll eat any part of you. If you get bit, you're infected. This feels very much like what Romero would do if he were directing it. I don't know if either of you guys watched The Walking Dead, but this feels very much like the same rules of zombiedom that The Walking Dead follows as far as once you're infected, you don't turn right away, you die, then you come back as an infected walker and if you get scratched that's it for you if you get bitten that's it for you so i feel like walking dead took a little bit of the rules of the zombie world for their own world well first of all they're all ripping off romero yeah. and the scratch is kind of a new thing uh walking dead the comic book came out in 2003 it was accused of ripping off 28 Days Later, which, of course, came out the same year. I mean, they're just all pulling from the same source and going the same way. But yes, once the zombies start coming, in most movies, that's giving you what you want. And they are doing Romero zombies. These are slow, shambling zombies that come at you and overwhelm through number, not through power. But if you're playing the game... You're waiting for level two. You know that even that first game, sure, you started off with some zombies, but you want the zombie dogs and you want the tyrants, the monsters that are coming beyond. I mean, later Resident Evil games, zombies were the novelty. Mostly you were fighting what looked like reject Cenobites, you know, like Nemesis and things. So... We know this is level two. Level one is just getting in. Level two, we're going to deal with the zombie horde. But when the dogs come, we're getting something different, which is a dog that looks like he's covered in pastrami. <laughs> yeah, why are the dogs missing a flesh? And for that matter, is the virus contained? Like, are they now walking around in an area where they have also contracted the T-virus? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they're walking around rooms. They don't have masks or anything. And they're walking in water that is definitely contaminated. They're being awful cavalier. Yeah. I took it as the airborne pathogen has finally been filtered out. The dead are dead. The air is safe. But now the contagion comes from the infected. And it's even in that game. It's in the movies that are based on the game. Animals can get infected just like humans. And the dog is what makes this different. And while the live-action dogs don't look all that great in their makeup, some of those puppet dogs missing jaws and everything, this is some new zombie design. I cannot recall seeing a decomposing zombie dog before this film. How did they get out of the cage? They chewed their way out. We saw the cages that were like the wires were all bent out. Zombie dogs don't stop for anything. They <laughs> yes, just... they can bust through doors and windows. So the virus makes them stronger. I don't think that it's stronger than they would have been, but it makes them impervious to pain. It would hurt a normal dog to try to chew through wire. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But you're right, Arnie. This is I mentioned this before. This is one of the things that stands out in my mind that is 
of Resident Evil, which is the zombie dogs. And CGI wasn't quite there. You're right, they had some puppets that looked a little cheesy. And what you can't really put too much makeup on a live animal, so they were kind of stuck in a rock in a hard place there trying to make it look good. But for what they were working with, I bought it. They were zombie-looking dogs, and I was I was in the scene, and I was scared for our Alice. You know, there was a good little scene there where she had to escape a room where a dog was breaking in. Yes, they conveniently all get separated. That is one of the gimmies also, is when the zombies come, somehow Alice finds herself alone in a lab, and the lab design did remind me of Aliens, the room where Sigourney Weaver gets attacked by the facehugger, and here it's Alice getting attacked by the dog, and this is where Alice realizes she's a ninja and can air kick the dog. I thought that scene looked good. And that was, of course, a composite shot. No dogs were harmed. No Jovoviches were running up walls. <laughs> yes, they were. That was actually her? She did all the stunts in this film, but one. Impressive. And some of those scenes where you see her bruised, cut, scraped, they didn't need to apply makeup because she did all of her own stunts, but one. You'll tell us what the one is, right? It's a, it's unimportant. She It's a jump that she could have done, but the insurance people said there's wires hanging from the ceiling and she could get caught on one and choke and die, so they didn't want to risk that. Oh, okay. So it's, it's an innocuous thing. It's not like it's a full body burn or something. Yeah. But you see her jumping up a wall like that, three months of training to kick a tennis ball where they'll then superimpose a dog. You know, here's a turning point for me. Up to this point, I'm enjoying the movie, silly though it may be. I feel like this is the part. I While I like the dogs as a concept, you got to give us something new. It makes sense to have it as a level. But it does start to feel like the part where it's stepping away from the horror genre entirely. We're forgetting that they're zombies. And this is just about being in the Matrix. Yeah, the Matrix... Before the Matrix Blade, I'm getting a lot of Blade from this movie, from the outfits to the techno. I mean, the Matrix kind of ripped off Blade, too. Yeah, or conveniently, they shared some similar elements. I don't think it takes a genius to come up with, let's play some techno music and have kung fu. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> a lot of people could have that idea. True, but Blade, it was in the zeitgeist of the late 90s and early 2000s. It was pretty common. Again, Underworld did it around the same time, too. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely feel like there is a subgenre. I don't want to call it a horror. I would call it a subgenre of action where they take horror elements, Van Helsing or Underworld or whatever. Yeah, there's werewolves, there's vampires, but that's not what they're here to do. Like, they're not here to do the things that you know that they do in horror movies. They're just things to punch and kick. And so I'm less into that. And so I do feel like the movie does become more and more Alice like cracking a zombie by the neck with her legs and doing flips and that stuff is just, you know, it's not what I meant. Sure. I mean, there's really no character development going on from the point of trying to escape from the Red Queen up until we get to the point where we realize somebody is a traitor. The rest of this is just progressing through hordes of zombies and different challenges that are thrown in their way. And they turned the Red Queen on again. Like, like they were like, well, now we have a kill switch. I'm like, why didn't you always have a kill switch? This is where I say, if you don't like Kung Fu, don't go to a Kung Fu movie. I mean, that's what we have here are real stunts, real martial arts, no CGI fakery. And if you enjoy seeing action films, as I do, I love Jackie Chan, I like some old Bruce Lee stuff and things, then 
you're having fun watching the stunts and watching the fights. If you are insistent that every scene must be in service to plot and cannot just be there for sheer visceral entertainment, then yes, you want to jump ahead to the trader. Me, I'm really enjoying watching Mila do these stunts. I'm enjoying Michelle Rodriguez as the badass SWAT member who's good with a gun. I'm liking these characters and I like watching them kick ass. Characters? Are we really going to call them that? Yes, because that's what they are. They are characters in a screenplay. I mean, you can try to be... I mean, but you know what I'm saying. Obviously, they're characters. They have names, some of them anyway. And yeah, they're costume in a certain way. But there's no dimension or depth to them. I mean, they, they have attitude. They're archetypes. They're as character-driven as uh, someone you would pick out to become in a video game. But I do think it is a movie's job even a video game movie's job, to fill in details. What we get are Alice having more and more memories, that her character development is she remembers what she used to do before this movie started, and that she is having these meetings with a woman in a graveyard, and maybe she betrayed her, and maybe she's actually the bad guy. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm fast-forwarding through these action scenes at all i'm just saying are we gonna sit here and describe every kick and punch up until we get to the next thing that happens in this story no but i just don't want to be too dismissive of the best part of the movie okay so that's a question then if we focus only on story we focus only on bad things Mm. oh yeah fair enough okay yeah i don't know that this action is fantastic either i mean i like a good martial arts movie every now and then i don't think i like them as much as you do arnie but i mean this i wouldn't say that this is anything spectacular i don't but it's fun it isn't jackie chan but it's a lot of fun and from fifth elements and here mila jovovich got famous because she's able to do action legitimately and not be like an Angelina Jolie or a Scarlett Johansson that's going to have their face pasted on a stunt double. Yeah, I'll I'll give her that much of a compliment is that I, I feel like she's committed physically to the part. It just, you know, I don't know. After a while, after, yeah, so many montages of her flipping and kicking and all, it's just not what I want in a zombie movie. And keep in mind, they could have made Resident Evil more strictly by those tropes and by going kung fu it almost feels like they don't believe in the horror element it could be anything the only part that's kind of really dragging me down is they have two characters that are basically under the same guise of will they or won't they make it and that's you know michelle rodriguez's character and the other guy i can't remember his name the computer whiz (laughs) kaplan (laughs) yeah so they're basically having the same story go on and that I, i guess that's one too many that whole thing could have been done with one character but this is getting to the point where the movie does do something that kind of ticks me off a little bit where we're following the crew and they get to underground now they they've escaped the office area and the lab area and they're in these dripping sewers utility tunnels yeah where they feel like they're a little bit safe but then they you know they encounter another horde so they decide to get up on the pipes which is cool that's a video game type of trope where you know find a way to get out and now they're all crawling along these pipes i like the set i mean i think that again if you're looking this strictly from a design standpoint i i think as someone that's a fan of movies that move through location and exploit location uh, yeah i like that they did this it was kind of fun to watch them yeah crawling away knowing that 
one slip and not only could they fall and break their neck, but then they're going to be eaten as well. And that this is where we separate, that we have a character who isn't going to make it and leave me behind, except when the moment comes to put the bullet in his mouth, he, he just can't quite do it. I find it very amusing because I did think he was going to commit suicide. They lead you to think that. You hear the gunshot. And then I did think that he was just going to be killed by the zombies because he used his last bullet killing one of them. Okay, I'm fine with that too. But then he turns around and they're like, oh, there's an escape path that's been feet from me this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is the part that made me upset. It's like, why set this drama and big question up? Because he will show up later as a surprise, but we're, we're not surprised. We know he got away. You hear a gunshot and we see a shot of Mia Jovich's face going, oh no, that must have been him. And then they cut right back to us as a viewer knowing that he's fine now. Yeah, I think that what I'm going to probably say that's going to be true for all six of these podcasts is, I'm guessing, I don't know, I haven't seen a single one after this, is that they know where they want to get to, and they know the levels that they like, but they're not really concerned about the details of how to go from one to the other. The, the whys of how this guy escapes are of no concern to this director, and so it's just kind of, yeah, it's just, please don't look, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter, he gets away. That's the point. It would have been a worse cheat if he'd just shown up later after we left him to kill himself on the pipe and be like, oh yeah, there was a way out feed from me. Sorry, I let you guys all think I was dead. Is it? I almost feel like that would have been the way to go. I could accept the fact that maybe something happened uh, that we didn't see, but to see that, yeah, he just basically crawled away after... Yeah, giving up. Yeah, I don't know. It made it look stupider. <laughs> I guess seeing stupidity is worse than hearing about stupidity, but I think we all would have bitched, hey, they faked us out and told us he was dead when he wasn't. The point is they should have had a writer actually dramatically explain how he could think he was dead and then give him a reason to feel like he had a chance again. But they didn't do that. So we get what we get. But during all of this, we are being teased because... Breaking out of its cage, the liquor is on the prowl. This is yet another iconic thing that people think of when they think of Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. This is in the game. Yeah, it's star Resident Evil 2, some of the ways it crawls on the ceiling and reveals itself are straight out of that game. I thought there was a bunch of them. You know, they ended up walking through something they call a dining room, which ends up just being uh, all these brains with needles in it in these cases. I don't know what they are. Refrigerators. Alien eggs. And yeah, well, yeah. And then they hatch, but there's only one of them? Yeah, I wasn't completely sure that either. I thought there would be a bunch, but apparently it was just one liquor yeah. that had gotten out that they were trying to escape from. Yeah, uh, I guess the budget. My guess is they probably originally scripted a whole bunch, and then when they looked at how many euros they had left, they were like, nope, one. They only planned for one with all the effects planning they did and all the storyboarding, and... Once you have the computer graphics model and the puppet, you could kill one and then have another one come back that's slightly dressed differently. But I think they meant for this to be the big bad. They meant for this to be the big boss of the levels. And so that's why they set it up early. And truthfully, I could tell watching this, when that thing's a practical, it's gorgeous. It is awesomely nasty looking and dangerous. When it's CG... We're dealing with 2002 CGI. It's ridiculous. Does the queen not think it could get out? Like, is this really wise to release something like this 
knowing that it could actually get to the surface and cause way more damage than any one you gassed. In the final cut, she didn't let it out. What happened is it broke out. Now, later on, she's like, I've been a bad, bad girl. Yeah. And you see the liquor. And so that implies what was in the original script, which is she let it out to hunt them down because yeah. all of her defenses were dead. So all she could do to kill them was release this. But in this cut, it's very clear it broke out. She had nothing to do with it. I wouldn't say very clear, but I'll I'll accept that. I You I see the door pounding, 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 and then he gets out. I mean, the door does not open for him. Yeah, well, again, it's because she has all of that chattiness about how she's doing all of this stuff. Again, I do not understand the Red Queen. I don't get anything about this. But I thought that this was, yeah, something to ensure that they never got out. The contingency that should these people fight through all the levels... At the very end, waiting for them at the top of the stairs will be this creature that will then turn around and bust out of the mansion and, and attack Raccoon City. Well, for the sake of our plot, yes. In in the movie sense, this is an experiment that they're working on. They're trying to create some sort of super soldier, I guess. And this is one of the experiments is where it's just pure organic material that's ready to fight and kill. It's almost... Arnie, it's almost like a symbiote. You know, it almost has like a carnage or venom type of feel here with the long tongue and the tendons. Yeah, they have so many different origins in the game itself. Some are just humans that mutated different. Some are humans that were experimented on. Some are other animals. Some are DNA creations. Basically, hey, this is a video game and you want to shoot cool things. So we're going to gobbledygook techno babble. Here's why there's these things now. But in the end, it's a video game character. Right. And in the same way, it does the same thing for our movie here, too, because it ups the ante. Instead of just having to walk or get away from these slow walkers that are in a horde, you now have to get away from a thing that can walk on walls, walk on ceilings. It's super fast. It's super sharp. And it's super mean. So it really does do a good job of injecting a little bit of needed dread into this story as we trot along these these levels. Well, I'm not really scared by the zombies. I can honestly say they're one big, we're surrounded by zombies, and then we blow up the cooler and they all float away. Is you know, it kind of makes them just not that, they're too slow to be a threat. And the dogs were all handled. So yeah, you need something here. I guess the sister was a little bit of a twist. Matt finally had something to do. He was reunited with the sister that was planted as a mole. And this is where we realize who's everyone is, is really working for. That the husband of Alice, Spence is, he remembers that he was a bad guy and decides to still go with it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he could just be like, eh, I'm not going to do that anymore and, and not say anything. But really, I guess he really thinks he has a shot with Hot Mia Jovovich, that he really wants to get in on that. He's not leaving without her. And so he outs his plan and offers her to come along. And she remembers that she always found the sex bad, I guess. No, that she was anti-umbrella. But so is he. She was anti it, though, because she felt like this virus was a bad idea because bad things could happen like the one they're in the middle of. And he's like, hey, let's take this virus and go on the run and sell it. And who cares what those people do with it after we get paid? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the difference between thinking Walmart's an evil corporation and not shopping there and actually trying to physically get Walmart to shut down. Mia Jovovich is actually trying to get it to shut down 
and he's just willing to just not shop there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I can see that he's more extreme. We needed a bad. We needed a Burke. And so, yeah, here's let the toady that thinks he can profit from all this misery, let him get eaten. But he doesn't get eaten. He just gets bit or I don't know what the liquor does. I guess he gets licked. No, I took it as the liquor kills him, much like Burke is killed by the alien. He was going to inject himself with the cure and then the liquor interrupts. But it doesn't eat him because later we have a scene of her. We want to make sure she gets the final death blow. So we have a scene of him still as a zombie attacking her. But he's so bloody. That doesn't mean the the liquor didn't bite him, eat him, and now he's a zombie. I mean, mean, it didn't eat him. I mean, he's there still. I mean, he's all four limbs. But there's huge chunks out of his chest. Parts of him were eaten. Okay. He ingested enough of him to because the Red Queen explains that now the liquor has new DNA information and will evolve. So we see the liquor actually grow into an even bigger, scarier monster. Is what, just going to be a twat or something? It's just going to be more like Spence? I mean, that's <laughs> The super that's liquor. <laughs> super Spence. <laughs> Maybe that's why Mila thought the sex was good, is he was also a liquor. Yeah. I don't think she was into it or she would have left with him, but we see her face. She took that wedding ring off. She was like, eh, I don't want to be with you. I don't know what, like, this is morning after regret here. Buyer's remorse. Well, she takes it off when she kills him. I, you know, it's no, like all no, at she once. she took it off the second she sees him in the flesh and she looks at it and it's engraved Umbrella Corporation. Again, bad idea. If you're trying to disguise that this is supposed to be an act, don't engrave the wedding rings that they're, they're actually workers for the umbrella corporation (laughs) if lost please return to (laughs) very dumb but i don't know yeah to me this feels totally aliens here queen alien coming back they even have an airlock on a train who fucking dumps things on the train tracks through like the floor yeah i didn't understand that trap door in the in the middle of the train that's just because they did it in alien and why why the train that they're on now has a a big net of precariously placed pipes just hanging in the middle of it (laughs) this is the scene mila couldn't do because of those pipes there that one jump she has to make is the only time there's a stunt double in this film for her yeah i mean it did look like a pretty pretty scary little area to be in but yes this is basically the action-packed climax i mean rain or basically we'll just call her michelle rodriguez has been bitten for quite some time now and been fighting it off and kaplan comes back just to die himself the question really is i mean our two heroes are matt and alice those were the two who were anti-umbrella to begin with will they make it no, the liquor's going to show up and claw Matt. He's There is a cure, supposedly, but we don't see anybody get cured. We don't know that that works. It's so dumb. Yeah, that's so frustrating to me. And I'm sorry, nobody cares about Matt. I don't know this actor. This character hasn't... He spent half the movie in handcuffs. He sent his sister in to do his own work. Nothing about him is impressive in any way. I would not call him a hero. I care about him only because I know this actor from four years of Ugly Betty where he played her boss slash somewhat romantic interest. So he stood out to me as, oh yeah, that guy. This is where he was from. I guess gameplay is that you can be a woman and a man at the same time. You can have two people playing in the same screen. No, 
It's a single player game, but you can choose to play as a woman or as a man. Or in some games, you play as a woman and then as a man and switch back and forth just as the characters do different things. Okay. He had the haircut of someone that would be in a video game, but I just didn't see him do one thing in this movie that seemed to matter. And so when he's hauled away and they're saying, let's use him for the Nemesis project, I just assume that means he's going to come back as some monster. Well, yeah, we already saw the beginnings of it. He was scratched pretty good on his arm and some tentacles started to crawl out of the wounds a little bit there. And Nemesis, that got me really excited in theaters because Resident Evil Nemesis had been heavily advertised on television and I hadn't played it when I saw this movie, but even I was excited to see the Nemesis in a sequel. Uh, You know, I assumed it meant something in the video game lore, but... Uh, we can guess, right? It's going to be some kind of z- ghoul. I mean, he's going to have fangs and maybe a long tongue or something. I mean, I, I guess I'll find out next week. I'll say again, as the prequel, in the video game, Nemesis is just another experiment. It wasn't somebody the characters knew who was turned or something. So here we're getting the closest thing to a backstory you'd get for Nemesis. And now we kind of have a redo of the beginning of the movie that we have Mia waking up again Like, she knows who she is anyway, but she's in a sterile environment. Nobody's around. Nobody can help her. Mostly naked again. Yeah, exactly. We got to get that in there. I mean, I guess the director is her husband, right? They never met before this movie. She apparently punched a lot of people really hard. Not like play punch, but like the take went bad. So she went and gave the camera operator a black eye. She punched the director a few times. He considered it foreplay because after this movie, they started dating. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, Aww. I assume that they were already in a relationship. She had been dating Luke Bassan when she made Fifth Element. I, I, she strikes me as kind of like uh, a Sherry Moon, you know? She's just, you know, in the movies of the director that she's dating at the time. I haven't really seen her in much of anything other than Resident Evil or Fifth Element movies. Well, are you saying that's why they're still married? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why she still does them. Well, she was cast blind. He may have wanted to sleep with her because, hey, I did too after the fifth element. But she was not cast as his girlfriend. Okay, interesting. And this was not the first ending they shot. This was Anderson's original ending. He wanted to have her wake up again, mirror the beginning, and walk out into this post-apocalyptic wasteland. He was told by financers, too expensive, cut it. And on the Blu-ray is the original ending that was filmed. But if you didn't think The Matrix yet, and you should have, this end scene is a total ripoff of the scene where Neo walks into the security guards and shoots the place up. She's literally walking into a building that looks like the building Neo was breaking into to save Morpheus. There are security guards behind the metal detector and she pulls out a rocket launcher and they were going to have some CG effects that were never finished where she has homing mini rockets that go after all these guys as credits roll. But... They went with the much better sequel baiting, but really down ending. Yeah, I mean, the director said in the... I saw the... I didn't listen to the commentary for the whole movie, but I did hear his explanation about why they didn't use this ending. And he's saying he wanted Planet of the Apes, Omega Man, that kind of 70s sci-fi movie where you're left with a sense of, if not total hopelessness, at least like, yeah, the 
the world has ended here. You know, we blew it up. And I don't know if it's just Raccoon City or, or the entire continent, but yeah, when she picks the lock, and I don't know how she does this, she picks a, a swipe card lock with like a screwdriver or something like that. But hey. It's her hypodermic needle that had been in her skin. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Whatever, of course that would work, you know, in this movie's logic. But anyway, stepping out, we don't see a single zombie, but we know that they must be everywhere and moved on because the town is decimated. Not too far in the recent past, though. I mean, some, there's still some cars on fire, and, you know, it's it didn't happen months ago. It, it's happened somewhat recently. Yep. Because, and I, I think it's said in dialogue, those stupid idiots that picked them up, the doctors were like, let's send another team down there. <laughs> I want to know who was around to print the Raccoon City Times headline, The Dead Walk. Don't you just leave? Don't you not send out that issue? Right? They took pictures, they wrote the article, they sent it to press, the kid took it to the box. Horror and raccoon, more victims dead. I don't know, I blame Umbrella Corp. Again, they sent another team after that one. Like, can no one email? Can no one, like, pick up a cell phone and tell someone what's going on? Cameras! My God, like, Umbrella just doesn't know what the hell it's doing. It deserves to be brought down. I wasn't even against the company, and now I definitely want to see it destroyed. But you understand, when you have the scientists that came in, the second wave, what are they interested in? It's not containment, it's experimentation. We have a nemesis project. Here's a perfect candidate. We need to continue our research. No, they went and sent more people down into the hive to find out what happened. To the team they sent in to find out what happened. We don't know that. Yeah, they said that. When? At the end of the movie, it's a voiceover dialogue. It is not Nemesis that did that. I knew it wasn't Nemesis, but I thought it was just zombies had gotten loose and it was still continuing the same thing. No, while she was sleeping on an operating table, the same thing played out, and this time Red Queen didn't stop them because I guess she was, they had thrown the kill switch. So, yeah, they just got bit again. I mean, dummies. Yeah, I mean, obviously it broke contagion outside of the hive, and that's that's where we're left to wonder if there's going to be a sequel or not. <laughs> <laughs> when this movie came out, it wasn't necessarily guaranteed, but how anxious are you guys for it? Justin Stewart, do you recommend Resident Evil? Justin. This is a tough one. You know, I could go either way with this movie. I mean, I don't I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. I'm not sitting here saying I loved it or I hated it. It did a lot of things well, and it did a lot of things that like Stewart talked about we could sit and nitpick all night long. But at the end of the day, you know, I've seen this movie a few different times. We've talked about aliens. <laughs> We've talked about Total Recall. I got a little bit of RoboCop in there. It's got some Matrix. It's it's just taken a whole lot of things from a whole lot of different places and made a movie that I feel like is serviceable. You know, if I was a 14-year-old kid at the height of my video game career and there was a movie with a sexy hot girl with a big gun fighting zombies based on a video game I've been playing, this would be right in my wheelhouse. I was 28, so double that age you listed, but I was at the peak of my gaming career and out for a hot woman kicking ass, so I'll, I'll say 14 to 32. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think if that's what it set out to do, which, you know, catch that younger male demographic, I think it did a lot of that stuff well, and 
I think where I'm going to come down on this is knowing that we have so many more to go. I'm going to side on mildly recommending this movie because if I don't hear, I'm afraid that... <laughs> it's only going to get worse. This is your one chance for agreeing. It's going to be a slide downwards. Exactly. <laughs> All the other vials are red. <laughs> Stuart? Yeah, I have a similar fear, but you know what? Here's my analogy. You don't go to a track meet and then stop everyone in the middle and give a math test. Yeah, this movie is stupid. It's super stupid, but it, it counterbalances that by being very fast paced and very exciting. I mean, watching this movie and turning off your brain, if you're inclined to do so, you're going to be entertained. And I have a soft spot for horror movies that are about a setting. This is very much one that utilizes the high very well. It's a shameless retread of Aliens, one of my favorite movies. Hits all the beats. So, you know, as fanfilic, yeah, I think that this is a complete mild recommend. It's insubstantial. It's silly. But it nevertheless remains, I think, for me... The best movie based on a video game I've ever seen. So take it as it will. That to me means it at least deserves a little something. I don't know that I want any more of this. And I know I've got a lot of it coming at me. But for this, yeah, I think that this is completely innocuous fun. And I'm sure as hell not going to be the only ones to give this a red arrow. <laughs> but I wasn't <laughs> even close. You say turn your brain off. I actively dislike that term. But yet, I feel this movie pummeled me into unconsciousness. I didn't turn my brain off. I turned this movie on and it's like some gas was seeping into my room because my brain was shut off without my wanting it to be. And the movie flaws just rolled right over me. Yes, again, if we discuss this story, it's bad. I think Paul W.S. Anderson doesn't care about story so much as he cares about spectacle. I think this movie is great spectacle. The characters may be tropes, but they're fun tropes. I like Michelle Rodriguez in this as the ass-kicking SWAT member. We didn't talk about her much, but she gets some great lines in here. It's just some, you know, this is back in the start of her career. She'd had Fast and Furious, she had this, and she said in the commentary here she doesn't like sequels and doesn't want to do any, but we saw her in more Fast and Furiouses, and we'll be talking about her again in some Resident Evils. But I like her a lot in this movie. I like her slight flirtation with Alice. It's just a lot of fun to see two kick-ass women who lead the way in this, you know? I mean, Spence and Matt are not fighters, and Kaplan is separated. This is really about kick-ass women and mindless zombies, and it's a lot of fun, and it's... uh recommend not a strong recommend it's not a great film but it's a fun one all right so here's my one question then alien versus predator doesn't work as spectacle because it sure as hell is just as stupid it does not work as spectacle and it's more stupid i'm mm. sorry the woman deciding to have a romance with the predator nothing in this movie approaches that nothing in this movie is on the same continent as that okay i don't think they're so dissimilar but He's sticking with the franchise, right? This is the same writer-director for all of it. What we get here is basically what we're going to get five more times. Oh, absolutely not. He didn't direct another one for quite some time. He stayed on as a writer. He stayed on as a producer. It wasn't until 2010, after all his other options had dried up. <laughs> I mean, after this movie, 
Here was his directorial list. He followed this up with Alien vs. Predator two years later. Mm -hmm. Then Drift. I don't know what that is. Death Race. Oh, yeah. And then he finally came back to the well with in 2010, Resident Evil Afterlife. And then he has directed all the others since. But no, the next two films, he influences them, but they're not Paul W.S. Anderson films. I actually see that as a sign of encouragement then. I'm excited. This is our last film of 2016. I know that we're going to be jumping to an apocalypse next, but maybe it won't be so bad. I do think that, I don't know, maybe I'll be eating my words, but a different directorial touch could help someone to challenge the absurdities, I think would be a good thing. Ask for a little, little bit more brain. I'm not asking for, you know, again, the math test, but maybe something that's just a little bit less stupid. And, you know, an upping in the game of some of the CGI will never hurt. I, yeah. I assume it gets better as we go along. It definitely does. It's a slow evolution, but I thought the later films looked pretty dang good. And the budget for the next one isn't tremendously more than this one. This one was 35. The next one's 45. But we'll see if Alexander Witt can keep up with <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I hope he has some wit. I hope there's more wit there than the name, but uh, I'm not expecting the world, honestly. Apocalypse is his only directorial effort. <laughs> well, when you make the best, why do you need to make another one? I mean, he said <laughs> all he had to say. I, You know, I'm trying here. <laughs> okay, it's going to suck, but we'll find out next year for sure. In the meantime, I just want to remind everybody, there's just a few days left in the year. There's just a few days left in our fall 2016 donation drive. All 16 podcasts are out. The Resident Evil series, the Fly series, and the eight horror of 1986 films that... If you think that one sounds like it's not really a series, go read some of the feedback in the forums, on Facebook, on Twitter. Those are proving to be the highlights for our donors, especially films like Chopping Mall and Deadly Friend and even Trick or Treat. And also that means there's only a couple days left to enter to win our Christy Swanson signed Deadly Friend DVD. All the details for that are in our forums or just head to the Venganza Media Gazette and take a look at the rules. You just have to go to the forums and tell us which one of those movies you like best. You don't have to donate to enter this contest, but you do have to tell us which of the movies in our donation series is your favorite. And you can get this Christy Swanson signed DVD. I had it <laughs> signed personally. I can tell you which one isn't my favorite, but hey, I'm glad everyone's going to get a, uh, a vote in this. I do think it's a very eclectic mix. I was very happy with that series. It was a lot of fun to go back 30 years and see where the genre was. So, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. I miss you already. <laughs> Game over. It's a miracle. I never dreamed there would be this many of us left alive. So what's next? I say... Promise. This is Arcadia, broadcasting on the emergency frequency. There is no infection. Repeat, there is no infection. We offer safety and security, food and shelter. If you are out there, we will help you. There is hope. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Resident Evil Retrospective Series. When I get out of here, I think I'm gonna get laid. Yeah, <laughs> might want to clean up a little bit first. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. I'm missing you already. Would you like to continue? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next week to hear another Resident Evil movie review. One way or another, our world is coming to an end. The question is, will we end with it? And visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives for reviews of other films, including Blade, Hellboy, The Shining, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. I've been a bad, bad girl. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. For so long, I thought you were the future. I was wrong. I am the future. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Good thing we like a challenge. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums, where you and the other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The links to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. I told you I'd be bringing a few friends. You should have brought more. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always knew you'd be drawn to your friends. Insert coins to keep playing. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I didn't think any of you would make it this far. Not without infection. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Everyone is grateful for you helping us out. We really are grateful. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going to kill you. Perhaps. But first you have work to do. Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I can't remember much before all this started. Sometimes I feel like this has been my whole life. Now Playing's Resident Evil series is edited by David, Heath, and Arnie. I don't want to be one of those things walking around without a soul. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. This is what I do. The Resident Evil films and all movie audio and music are the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Hey, boys. Bad idea. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I have no reason to believe a word you say. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I want her quarantined, close observation, and a full series of blood tests. Let's see if she's infected. Take her to the Raccoon City facility. Then assemble the team. I want to know what went on down there. Just do it. Stars.
secret underground hive. A pity the fool that breathed that gas. Oh, not that kind of tea. <laughs> it actually stands for tyrant. Oh, okay. It's very funny you said that, though, because I'm watching the Mr. T cartoon on Saturday mornings now. It's It doesn't hold up. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think it stood up back then. Exactly. It was, it was pretty much sagging when it was on in 1983, but okay. Only made one season. <laughs> the virus triggers security. There's an entire series of direct-to-video computer graphic movies that Ooh. take place in the video game universe. You're hitting my G-spot. Woo, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Your G-spot, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm glad you're entertained. Probably more than I would be watching that. Two knuckles in, push to the top. Is that the deal? <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> I need to get it together yeah. <laughs> yeah It's all that video game playing It does rot your mind, see? <laughs> Stars. And on the Blu-ray is the original ending That and was filmed I saw it Okay, okay well, who who watches DVDs anymore? It's <laughs> on the Blu-ray. That's what matters. <laughs> Stars. It came in and injected some gas. It came in and blew some gas at my room. <laughs> that sounded bad, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to watch what you eat. <laughs> my freaking Frenchie. It blows gas everywhere. <laughs> Stars. 